I've got to do a better job of letting that be closer to you versus closer to me. So, <clears throat> excuse me, everyone uh, is learning at the same time. So, uh, thank you guys so much for coming on our podcast. Um, super excited to get to know a little bit more about your story. Um, for everyone that doesn't know, can you maybe just walk us through, like, walk us through the Hague School. Tell us what you guys, you know, are all about. Tell us about what your 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 vision is. You know, everything. Well, thanks, Hamilton. Uh, Jenny, my wife, and I uh, will begin talking about uh, starting such a project a, a few years ago. I had been teaching at Old Dominion since the late 90s. I teach uh, in the English department as an adjunct professor. And, you know, uh, also I've had raised a couple of kids and have a couple of more that are about to start school, uh, going through school. And uh, I've just noticed how education, how uh, technology has changed tremendously, but education and how we deliver it, if anything, has gone in the other direction. Um, and so I started as one of my research projects, uh, how to address best in the classroom, my classroom at the time at ODU, how kids learn. And uh, to my uh, uh, humility, it, uh, it was when I spoke less and when they spoke more. And so we thought, how do we engage that? How do we get kids to be more engaged in their own learning? Because they really do listen to each other. And in today's technological world where they may be sitting five feet away from each other, texting back and forth, or having video calls with their best friend in Colorado or wherever, uh, all at the same time, uh, there needs to be a concomitant um, transition in education in that way. And it's really what I found was at Phillips Exeter Academy up in New Hampshire, which is always ranked as one of the top high schools in the world, they've been doing for a hundred years. It's called the conference method of instruction. And in the conference method of instruction, all students sit at a table, a single table. There are no rows of desks. So if anybody comes to our school and looks for desks, they wouldn't find one. Uh, what they would find are very large tables uh, where class sizes of 10, 12, uh, even a little more can sit. And, uh, and that leads to the second thing that's different about our school, particularly in this area, uh, is that uh, the teachers, uh, we call them preceptors, because really what they are is facilitators of discussion. Um, we are a, um, our curriculum is based on the International Baccalaureate curriculum, so we are a college preparatory school with a world focus, and we want our kids to have a world view, but we want them to discuss and develop their view uh, with uh, a challenging curriculum around the table. Uh, that's sort of the conceptual part. The practical part is as I walked my small daughters to elementary school, um, at the Williams School, we live over by the Chrysler Museum and the Williams School is a few blocks away, I began talking to their headmaster back then. Uh, it was um, Mr. Mike Spencer. And he and I got to be friends and we talked about just various ways we could improve education. Uh, he has committed his 40 years in education to uh, student engagement. How can you engage more? So we really hit that off. And he came on board uh, the day after he retired from Williams. He uh, helped us as a 
sort of an interim head of school to get started. Um, and since then, uh, many other educators, including Steve Jones, former superintendent of schools for the city of Nor Norfolk, uh, Amy Laura Badaya, who's worked in the Norfolk public school system. And if I start listing, I'll, I'll get to 10 real fast and I'm sure I'll leave some other folks out. But yeah, that's fantastic. They, it's uh, what we found as uh, the Harkness method, the conference method on which our school's based, is probably used by half of the top 25 high schools uh, in the world. Uh, why it's not used in this area, I think, has a lot to do with bureaucracies and um, the status quo and things like that. There's not another school that uses our method in within 200 miles. And I'm not aware of one that combines it with the international baccalaureate curriculum or with NATO present and people who travel a lot in the military in this area. I think that's very important. I'm not aware of one of those uh, within 500 miles. So we feel like we have a niche, uh, even though we're going to be a really small school, uh, never more than 100 students, uh, two sections of uh, 10 to 12 in each class. Um, we feel like it's an important niche, particularly in today's technological world where if you have a video camera, like I see you do, you can reach a lot of people. That's right. If I have to sum all this up, it's time for education to change, and we want to be part of that. I want to dig into the Harkness method a bit. What is it that, in, you know, because I'm not educated in this space, but, I mean, what is it that is, I guess, the value proposition, like, I mean, I understand if I'm in a row. I mean, I feel like there's a mentality associated with being in a row. But if I'm at a table and I'm in a community and I feel like there's a there's a certain transfer, um, there's an information flow, I feel like I could see where that, like personally, I could see where that brings out innovation, uh, creativity, uh, math, anything really. What, what are your thoughts on you know, maybe what makes that method so successful and, you know, kind of uh, maybe expand on that a bit. Well, we've had, um, we did a number of studies and we've looked at some articles that really tout the value of this method of learning. Um, specifically, it increases um, the problem solving skills, communication skills, critical thinking skills, which is so important to this generation. Um, Paul and I also have a legal background and have done a lot of corporate training work. And we'll go to uh, big companies with managers who complain about younger generations, lack of motivation, lack of communication, lack of problem solving skills, all of these things. So this method really connected with me from a business perspective of being able to really get to these kids sooner to equip them with these skills that could differentiate them from their peers. Um, but in practicality of seeing it every day as we're doing now at the school, I'm very excited because it not only does the things we just talked about, but it also increases the confidence. So we have kids that are communicating, making eye contact, you know, from the generation that stares at their phone. Um, they are very confident in their expression and they feel it's a safe place to share their ideas and they don't have to get it perfect every time but they have an, a group of peers that want to have this type of dialogue with them and you know that's been really rewarding to see as they be find their voices and and it's not just rogue opinions at the table but they're learning to really substantiate their ideas with the text with ideas from prior classes and have very intelligent conversations. Love that. Love that.
So one thing I would add to sort of to that about, uh, is just to read from our website, which if someone really wants to answer that question, they can find it there. That's it's right. the org. Awesome. It's not, not hard to find. Um, don't confuse it with the Hague painters back in the 1800s. But <laughs> other than that, we're the one in Norfolk, and we're the one about education. But uh, more powerful than anything uh, Jenny or I could say is what, say, our parents and students say. So I'm just going to read one. Uh, uh, one of the parents wrote to us and said, The Hague School has proven itself to be a breath of fresh air educationally for my son. The Harkness Method ensures that each student has an opportunity to fully engage in class discussion and be valued for his or her uh, respective point of view. In an environment where his ideas are valued and no child is overlooked, he's learning to think critically, substantiate his opinions with uh, supporting facts. We believe this method of teaching will give him the skill set needed to be an effective global leader and fully blossom in preparation for college. Uh, one thing that a lot of folks say is at the table, nobody can hide. And you can almost hear that as a negative, but it's really a positive because the kids say that, hey, there's no sleeping, there's no talk, there's no reading your phone, there's no putting your head in your laptop. You want to hear what your students say, what your fellow students say, and you want them to contribute to your ideas. As I said earlier, the thing that excites me about this is once I figured out when I stopped talking, they start learning, uh, this was an obvious choice. Here's what a couple of the students say, if I can read a few of those. Um, I've improved in being more mentally present in my classes. I'm engaged and actively listening. Since this is happening, I'm improving in the classes I've always had trouble with. And now I feel more confident participating in most of my classes. I'm contributing by asking questions, challenging, and giving my perspective while taking information from the text. I now know the subjects more, and I'm always eager to start our class discussions. Because every course, whether it's math, history, English, science, are discussion-based. You may take a math problem and discuss it. You may take an issue in uh, environmental science, which is how we got to meet. Yes. Because the first theme of our nine weeks was plastic pollution. Uh, and, and, but you're going to discuss it and think it through. Maybe later in our conversation we'll get to some of those ideas because our kids want to clean up the Hague, by the way. I believe that. So it's just right outside. But I want to read, I'll read one, one for uh, a couple more from the students because if I was a listener and I was interested in our school, I'd want to know what the kids say. And uh, so I'll read a couple more. I found a way to bond with my fellow classmates in ways that I didn't at my old schools. It's almost like we're family. There aren't any cliques. We help each other, and I like that a lot. Each of us has our own abilities. My classmates have helped me learn a lot of new concepts, and I have the ability to help them as well. Every kid's good at something, and some are good at lots. But no kid is perfect. And what we found is that when kids talk to each other and help each other, and we have a very specific, we borrowed it with permission from Phillips Exeter Academy, way of conducting discussions. So there's always room for someone, whether they have a quiet voice or they stutter or they need a little bit of time to think. 
I don't have to say anything if I'm leaving that class. The kids make sure that every voice is heard. They know that that's there. Um, one other uh, kid said, you know, and I thought this was important uh, because this is a kid that might have been marginalized in, in uh, uh, a traditional school, if you will. His comment was, I feel like I can really say what I want without thinking that I'm going to be judged. Because at our school, in a discussion about plastic pollution, for example, you contribute your idea that, hey, one thing we ought to do is do something with bottles, maybe something as creative as you do and make them into stylish bags. Um, no idea is a bad idea. And so you gain points and you, you, you get a better grade if you can take that idea, your classmates, and build on it. And so that allows kids not to feel judged in a negative way. And, 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 and I'll shut up because I tend to get so excited no, about this, this is project. Great. This is what this is for. Please, this is wonderful. But, you know, as an educator, uh, as a professional, I, you know, the, my, my biggest regret is that my oldest kids didn't go to, get to go to a school like this and that there's not one anywhere nearby. This is how school ought to be. And you may say, well, why aren't all schools this way? Well, I guess for a long time, people thought the world was flat. And there are power structures that say you can't change that. Uh, I'm not quite making that rigid a comparison, but I am saying that we thought a long time about being a charter school because this is an open school. It's not an elitist school. Uh, we admit kids that are at or above grade level. Uh, we are very proactive with diversity. Our first class is 70% minorities, 60% uh, female. Um, we, we think that we follow the studies that say a diverse group is a better group for learning. Uh, I don't know, Jenny can probably tell you as well, one of the best quotes that I've heard from a student to me personally was, uh, a, a woman who, uh, from a young lady who probably would have been the head cheerleader at any of the big high schools, you know, super popular, the person everybody would look up to and want to emulate. And she looked around the room and she said, you know, Mr. Warren, I don't think I would know any of these people or have met them if I'd have gone to another place. But I'm really glad I did. And now they're my best friends. And, you know, to me, that was just very uh, heartwarming, really. For sure. To, to see that kids connect to it. Because we can have all the great theories in the world, but if the kids don't like it, it doesn't work. Totally. I'm really fascinated in the, <clears throat> the startup story of this because um, I know how challenging it is to start a company or to start an organization. Um, you, you touched on it in the beginning. Um, people were kind of at the center of this. Um, you know, whether it's aligning yourself with the right uh, staff or um, just having the right kind of support system. So I guess, I mean, can you maybe talk a little bit about the start? Like, what's the first thing you do when you start? Because I, I think traditionally, I mean, you go to school or you go to a school and the school's been there forever and it's been there forever and you don't really ever get that insight. But I think today, at least my interaction with the young people, half of them are like, they want to know how was it started? What was the starting point? Like, what were the things to do? Because they're already thinking like, I may start my own thing one day. 
So maybe if you could share, like, how did, how did you start? What were, like, some of the first things you did in, the, like, the first week or the first month or the first year? Like, what did you do? Well, we spent a lot of time uh, clarifying the vision and starting to establish the brand of it and um, what were the core tenets of the school. Because, you know, you need to stay true to that mission and those goals as the, pro as the project advances. And in our project, it went very quickly. Um, you know, within about a year of getting um, some like-minded people together and, um, you know, some people were working on uh, marketing materials, some were working on refining the curriculum, some were working on how to engage the community um, and enrollment. So we sort of, Paul and I had our hands in all pots, so to speak, but we had some people that were helping in various areas um, that had subject matter expertise. Um, and then as the project would evolve, sometimes those people were no longer needed, sometimes new people were needed, and the project continued to shift. So it was important for us to have um, some flexibility, um, keeping our eye on the prize, the end game, what the school needed to be, but also knowing that the project, you know, it goes through various phases. And so it would change, you know, every few months um, to a different phase of the project. So being able to keep your footing and be able to, you know, bring in new people, change different approaches, tweak um, things so that they're working optimally, that was all very important. Um, to go in with a very fixed mindset is not the way to go in any kind of startup venture. So um, having like-minded people around you, a strong vision, and a commitment to carrying that through was really important. And maybe talk a little bit about the location and you know, kind of how you discover the location, how did you acquire the location? Or So we live right around the corner, and um, as Paul said, he was walking um, home from taking the girls to school one day, and he saw the former Unitarian Church, which um, was for sale at the time. Uh, apparently a brewery wanted to buy it, but the neighbors were not so keen on that, and basically that contract fell through. So it was back on the market, and sort of with a leap of faith, um, Paul called, and uh, the church um, was very helpful in working with us to acquire the building, and um, they really were happy to see such um, a project inhabit the space, um, giving life to a building that they all really um, felt strongly about. So from there, we basically, um, you know, just went through the process of acquiring the building and it, you know, had different aspects that were good and bad. Um, the beauty, the building is beautiful, uh, and, but it is older and there were different things that we still need to renovate. We've renovated a lot, but that's a work in progress, but the location was so great. And one of the um, tenets of the school was to really make it uh, an extension of the community, to bring in people from the community. Um, I was particularly interested in the business aspect of this. You know, most of our work from our legal backgrounds has occurred at these oval tables, and we wanted kids to learn how to have confidence and express their ideas at these tables. But we also wanted to bring people from the community in and give them snapshots of people in different professions, um, building up leadership qualities and entrepreneurship ideas. So we really were able to maximize our location by making the city of Norfolk an extension of our campus. And um, they have PE at the Blocker Y, which is beautiful. Um, we have previews to the exhibits at the Chrysler before the public does. We have gone to Nauticus and emptied the seed bins and learned more about our plastic pollution studies. And um, you know, I could go on and on, but there's so many resources right within walking distance of the school. So uh, we really are happy to have that location. 
how do you think about um, getting the word out, marketing? Um, you know, I, I think half of the battle a lot of time is like <clears throat> getting more people to know about your your you know your your candy business or you know financial services business, legal business, school bag. What what do you all? Th how are you approaching um, kind of general marketing? Just you know, just getting the word out. Well, you can tell that um, you probably think of me as a talkative person in this podcast, but in real life, yeah, sometimes it's hard to get me to return a phone call or to talk to people. So marketing is, uh, I start with pray praying about it because <laughs> that's not something I'm good at. Uh, but I can sure tell you, and one reason I wanted to be here is what we need. We need people who believe in education who want to make a difference in how kids learn. We need people who want to look back 10, 20, 30, 40, 50 years from now and say they were a part of something that transformed for the better, positively, exponentially, how kids learn in the Hampton Roads area. Um, every single person I've talked to that has come into our school has gotten excited. Uh, and I would like for some of them to really take a look at uh, whether it's year end or year beginning like now at how they can support this venture because I tell you, they tell you when you read, do you, should you start a school? Um, uh, the short answer is no. It's, it's, <laughs> it's too hard. And, and I am in awe of what you have done with your product. Thank you. And I am in awe of your marketing genius and your design genius. And, you know, but I feel like if a bag costs $50 or $100, I could make that decision. And to then jump ahead to where we are to convince a parent take something that, oh, it's used by leading schools, the conference method, to go to a new school, right? They have the right curriculum, but they, it's their first class, and make a $15,000 commitment. Wow, that takes more than a leap of faith for some people. But we've been so excited. The, we have quite an array of uh, uh, students, and uh, everything from a submarine captain uh, who gave us a tour of a five-day-old nuclear submarine uh, to people who work in education. Uh, the people in education get it. This is how kids learn. This is how they should learn. But uh, I'm hoping that this podcast connects with someone who will send me an email or pick up the phone and say, hey, how can I support your vision? Because I'm not a millionaire. I don't have access to funds like you're supposed to when you start a school. Um, I put everything I had into uh, acquiring the building, uh, investing in the teachers, which has been great. They're all master level teachers, some with PhDs. Uh, and now it's time for somebody to call us. That makes At least sense. that's what we would like. That sounds like, a, that sounds like you have the product and I mean, it's such a thing that it's remarkable. And because it's remarkable, you're getting the word out. People are finding you. So that's, you know, that's one of the purest forms of marketing, it seems like. Um, from and, my and you asked about the location. I mean, anybody who goes on Google and looks at our building, I mean, it's, it's beautiful. I mean, we have two towers. So we have class, art class in the tower, music class in another tower. 
Uh, we have an art room uh, in, in the commons area and a, and a big auditorium. It's beautiful. But it's probably the most visible area, if you will, in Norfolk, because from the Brambleton Street Bridge, you're looking over the water, over the footbridge, and you see our building. And it's right beside the Chrysler Museum. You know, uh, Town Bank put a beautiful symbol in uh, celebrating uh, its contributions to the Chrysler. Uh, we, we got room in our yard for something like that. There you go. And, uh, you know, uh, because what we're selling is education and the future for this community. Because, and I'll try to say it this way, because this is really the theme. Kids today come out of school and come into my class at ODU less prepared than they were 20 years ago or 10 years ago. They, uh, their social skills have declined. And I don't know if you're aware of this, but I've certainly done studies on it and written papers about it myself. But in the 1950s, the United States was in the top five educationally around the world. And at one point was ranked number one. Today, they're not in the top 20. And in the last 10 years, they've dropped five places. I think there's a reason for that. And the reason is a lack of engagement. And where do you get engagement the most? Between students around a table. That's state of the art. It also has a historical basis at schools like Phillips Exeter, Lawrenceville School, uh, our sister school, the Harkness Institute in Mexico, and other places. But that's what kids do, are lacking. We've had kids apply to our school that have never had homework. I'm like, well, they don't get it. Because you have to do homework in our schools. Otherwise, you've got nothing to talk about. <laughs> and they're very motivated to do the homework, you know, sure. which is really interesting. Um, it's a little more challenging, but they are excited to do it because they have good things to talk about at the table. And if they skip on the homework, it becomes very obvious quickly um, at the table in the discussion. So they're um, really motivated to learn and engage about the subject matter. What do you all think about sustainability? I know it's a huge part of, I think it's a part of the future, at least our thought is it's a huge part of the future where we're going. <clears throat> um, obviously we're in the kind of bag and accessory industry and you know, there's a lot of kind of virgin materials that get used. It's not like a ton of recycled materials that get used. Um, so we're, we're kind of like a, like a small portion of, of a big market, you know, if you think about the Harkness method, that's kind of a smaller niche within the larger education. Um, maybe you can talk a little bit about how the students are learning about sustainability, what, what are their reactions to learning about it, and kind of just any, you know, broad strokes like case studies or anything that you have around, um, you know, sustainability really being a part of a curriculum early in uh, a young person's uh, life versus like something they learn like later in life. I guess, uh, you know, I think of sustainability in a couple of ways. The, the first issue relates sort of to what you do is, uh, and, and I was candidly depressed, though I tried not to show it, and, and when I taught class on Monday, when one of the students said, Mr. Warren, when we're talking about our oceans and we're talking about 
you know, pollution. I mean, it's just, I mean, I don't think I'm going to have a better place to live than my parents did. And uh, I'm, that, that worries me. But the rest of that discussion was we've studied people from Greta Thunberg to particularly when you and I met, we had just watched a video from two uh, teenage girls in Tahiti uh, who had plastic bags banned from the country through their own efforts in less than two years. So uh, what we try to instill in our students is you can make a difference. One person can make a difference, even if it seems like it's overwhelming. And so to that end, we have uh, joined and are, uh, uh, have joined the competition in the United Nations Global Social Leaders Competition. And we're doing this with uh, a, a school that we, uh, Jenny met at a conference from Mexico. And you pick one of 17 United Nations sustainability issues and uh, then you do a project about it. And proposals are due in two weeks, so maybe you'll invite me back and I'll bring some students and they can tell you what they're doing about sustainability. Let's do it. Uh, but, I, you know, I get there 14, they're 15, and, uh, you know, right now they're kind of over plastic, be candid about it. But they are very interested in gun violence, how to reduce gun violence. Their proposal is it's by teaching the way we do. If you're engaged with your students, you're not going to shoot them. Very simplistic, but it makes sense. Another thing they're engaged with is um, uh, nuclear energy. Why is it that we are so addicted to coal and natural gas and, and, and fossil fuels when there are other types of energies available? And we've had a nuclear physicist come to our school and give a presentation. Um, other ways of sustainability relate to design. Uh, design of buildings uh, and things like that. We've had uh, two sets of architects come to our school and just talk about that. How can you design buildings differently? How can you do layouts differently to maximize sustainability? So on the one hand, sustainability can be overwhelming, particularly to a 14, 15 year old kid. Oh my gosh, what kind of crappy world did I inherit? On the other, we're showing them, not just once in a while, but every single week. We call them, uh, we used to call them Fun Fridays uh, 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 because now they're, we have speakers on them uh, and they just thought they were fun. And we go places like come here to see you or go to the Chrysler Museum or go to Time Off Moss Architects or somewhere like that. And, and we show them every week to keep that ray of hope open hey, the world is what it is, but you can do something about it. One step makes a difference. Two people, three people make a difference. Um, so from that perspective, I, I'm, um, that, that's gone even better than I'd hoped for. That's great. Yeah, I think being the change you want to see is like one of the most powerful ways of, you know, kind of harnessing any potential and it's definitely, it's evident with sustainability if you think about something that if you just be what you want to be or you be what you want to see, it makes a difference. So what are your, what, what's like a routine, if at all? Do you have a routine? How are you spending, you know, a typical day? I'm 
trying to think of what day today is. Today is uh, <laughs> it's off to a, a, a quick start. But I mean, what's a what's a typical midweek for you like? I mean, what what are you spending your time on? Uh, uh, Jenny can probably say a few more things about what we do on Fridays. But the the so our typical days are Monday through Thursday, and that's the classes meet every other day. All classes are ninety minutes. Uh, the first half hour of each class is usually preparation for discussion. Sometimes in math, you'll start with a problem set and break into groups. But typically, like in cultural geography, they'll have the first uh, 30 minutes, they uh, take an assigned reading that they theoretically have read the night before. And as Jenny said, they do read it the night before. But then they'll read it again. Because we think, you know, this is not entertainment. This is not TV where you forget it. You're supposed to think it through. So you read it again, and then you discuss it. And then you reflect on it afterwards. So uh, that's sort of a typical class. We'll have two in the morning and two in the afternoon and lunch down in the commons. Um, and because we're small and because we're new and because the church was had such a nice set of speakers, we let them play music and do whatever the heck they want at lunch. And they like it. And, um, you know, it's a, so a typical day is we start at 845. Why is that late? Uh, is because all studies show that teenagers do not do well at 7.05 in the morning. Mm. Why we do that is, I'll just be blunt, I think it's because in the 50s we were preparing students to be factory workers. That's what I was thinking going back to earlier of our conversation, even just like the line and just how you kind of learn traditionally. Like I was just thinking... That's what it's designed to make you do. So if you're in charge of a, a school system, are you really going to be the, uh, the, the man or woman who comes in? You're the new superintendent of schools. You have 25,000 students you're in charge of, and you're going to bump things back two hours? No, you're not going to do that. But should it be that way? Yes, we think it absolutely should be that way. Because our kids come to school, and they're happy to be there. They're smiling. They're not sleeping. They're not sleepy. You know, they're kids, so they stay up late and they do whatever it is they do. But often it's they're doing their homework and they're connected because we get every kid with a laptop with another student while they're doing it. And so they're talking about what they were doing when they come in the door. 8.45 makes a difference, I think. We stay till 3.45. Uh, and usually there's an after-school activity uh, that they can do. Rabbi Panitz comes for chess club today, for example. Uh, some kids go for tutoring uh, because they want to, not because we make them, um, and uh, because they want to do well. But not for me. I used to think I was a great teacher, <laughs> but I found out they want to perform in front of and with their fellow students. They want to feel like they're a part. And we believe that goes back to that ray of hope. If you can get kids to be engaged, then they are at the right age to believe they can make a difference. And I firmly believe they can. And Paul, what would you say to parents or potential parents of students? How, how would you position um, you know, this, this opportunity? Because it's really clear to me, and I, I see it, how, how do you kind of, what do you, how do those conversations go? Or what would you tell them? 
Yeah, there's so many ways to answer that. I know. Uh, that's, a, that's a loaded one. No, it's a good question. The, the, the true and genuine answer is I say, tell me about your kid. You know, what, what does your kid want? What do you want for your kid? We're a college preparatory school, so we anticipate that every kid wants to have additional education when they graduate. That's why we have the International Baccalaureate Curriculum. That's broader and deeper than the advanced placement or the AP tests and that sort of thing. AP is a, a results-based kind of thing. You can take the test and do well and then forget it. In the International Baccalaureate Curriculum, you take it, you write about it, you present on it, you develop it, and it's graded in Switzerland. So there's a lot deeper learning. And uh, we want kids to excel not at just getting into college, but into succeeding while they're there. I was one of those kids placed out of all the maths and had only two courses. I only had one course my senior year. Didn't have any more courses for me to take. I got in the University of North Carolina. I took everything for granted because I got my acceptance three days after I sent it in and I was recruited as an athlete. And I went to college and I wasn't prepared. I hadn't had math in a few years. Mm. I hadn't uh, really had anybody, I knew who Shakespeare was, but I didn't know how to write about it very well. I was shocked when something I'd placed into, I got a poor grade. Well, that was just my experience, but what I have found as a professor is that the kids, it's not just one or two that are that way now. It's like the mainstream. They've never written a research paper, some of them. They've never critically thought through uh, a topic. They couldn't begin to tell you anything about how your business is like this. They would just walk in your store and go, oh man, this is gorgeous, that's amazing. Oh, you're doing something nice for the environment. Well, that's cool. And that's the, the, the level. I think if our kids had come here, they would pick the bags up. Mm -hmm. And I think they'd unzip them and they'd say, what's this made of? Yep. How does it look? Where'd that come from? How did you do that? How do you get different colors? They'd start asking questions. And that's the difference. So if a, I would look at a parent and say, you want your kid to memorize answers? Or do you want your kid to ask questions and learn to love to learn for the rest of their life? They go to our school, they're going to love to learn. Love that. And some of the people we've talked to, you know, have brought up that some of the jobs these kids will have may not even exist yet. So there's real power and value in being able to know how to learn, know how to adapt, have that resiliency, and apply your knowledge in varying subject matters. So that's why we try to expose them to lots of different areas and, you know, like Paul said, get them to love learning, love the learning process, because they're going to be doing that for the rest of their lives. Um, and just to add to what Paul was saying, another thing we tell parents is uh, that we have such a strong emphasis on math and on writing. Um, we have a wonderful math uh, teacher who's certified in all the IB math courses, um, but then on Friday she also does a math lab. So they're actually out measuring things, the slope of different aspects of the building and going outside and doing varying things so they're they're really applying that knowledge and they're smiling and have fun I mean I take a picture you never know it was a traditional math class uh, but they're they're learning and, and then in the writing area they have an English class but they also have a research and composition class so they are writing papers citing their work using sources you know 
and I've had talks with many parents of kids this age and you know they haven't written anything to speak of this year and this goes on and on and then they leave high school with marginal skills and uh, as former English majors ourselves we're really uh, strong proponents of being able to write well and express your ideas. Absolutely. Writing, communicating, when I look back and I look at what work I'm in today is so important. I mean, it's, it's, a big, uh, it's a big part of any idea, any business, work at a company, starting a company, communicating is, is the key. Well, and idea development is too, because as I mentioned before, too often people treat education almost as television, something to watch. And it's not. That's not learning. That's being entertained. If you want to learn, you have to unzip the bag. You have to take it apart. You have, and you have to want to. And, and that's why, well, when I, as a professor at ODU, teaching uh, composition, I would give a series of papers in my classes. And I, I keep looking at you to wonder if you were ever in my class. I don't think you were. Um, English 211. But anyway, so. <laughs> you might remember if you were. But uh, you definitely remind me of uh, some of my better students. Oh, the, the, in the In that class, you would take a topic, you would research it, you would develop it, you would write about it, you would explain it. And, and, and that's what I think is, is part, that's how you really learn something. But I found out from back then, the, the head of the department told me, well, you can't use that paper in any other class because that would be cheating. And I was very puzzled by that because kids are kids and they will often stay up all night, particularly in college, to try and write this stellar paper to get whatever grade they do. And you can't always say, oh, take two more days because we have a class to teach and we have a curriculum to go through, though I try to have them rewrite it. You don't want it to get so boring. But why can't they use it in another class? Why shouldn't they get feedback from another expert with a different perspective? Why shouldn't my research paper on plastic pollution, a specific aspect of it, go to the environmental science teacher and that person give a separate grade with a separate different criterion and isn't that real learning? That's what we do at our school. The first nine weeks, we, every nine weeks has a different theme. The first nine weeks was plastic pollution, and as you know, you saw us before school started, during school started, and now that we've finished that nine-week section. The second nine weeks is global challenges. That's what we're talking about, the competition the kids are in. The third nine weeks is going to be nutrition, because that's just an area so few schools truly help kids know what they do every day to their bodies. Uh, and then it will go on from there. So that's the third element of, of our school. Uh, the first is the conference method of instruction. The second is the international baccalaureate curriculum. And the third is an interdisciplinary approach where you take your paper in my class and you go hand it to somebody who is an uh, environmental scientist or is uh, uh, someone who teaches cultural geography or something like that. And then you really get to see how your ideas could and should take shape. 
And beyond the papers, um, you know, it's that cross-curricular approach even in the teaching because there can be a lot of overlap, you know, whether it's art and history or science and English. And we're trying to get the kids to see the big picture and see how they can really connect what they're learning um, to a greater degree. So there's a spirit of collaboration with the faculty as well as, you know, that collaborative attitude toward the students. And one kid asked me, he said, you know, Mr. Warren, this is about three or four weeks in. Why are we taking theater? We don't really want theater. I said, let me ask you a question. I won't mention his name. Uh, does it help you express your ideas better to learn to speak clearly on a stage with a script? He said, well, yeah. And I said, do we do that at our school? And he said, yeah, every day, all day. So that's why we take theater. Plus, you might learn something that you might like. That's right. I think that's so. We we try to connect them with everything. So, like, if we don't have theater, we'll have debate. If we don't have debate, we'll have you know some other form of uh, speaking that goes along with that. Um, uh, so that's what we mean by the interdisciplinary thing. Now, the topic of the debate might be exactly what you just studied. They were uh, reading Lord of the Flies in. Uh, English literature. So if there's a debate, it's going to be between two of the kids that are there in the book that they read. We want them to use, and we want them to go back and talk to that literature teacher about what it was that they should be debating about. And uh, so we've had some really fun times. What are you most excited about for the new year? Um, do you have any, I guess, any goals or any objectives for the new year that you're just excited to tackle? Well, um, one of the things on the more immediate horizon is uh, we've established a relationship with the Harkness Institute in Mexico who teaches the same way we do. And so um, they ha are sending, I think, five to six students over next month for a couple of weeks. Um, They're ironically studying U.S. history and thought the location of our school would be so interesting. They can go to Williamsburg, Jamestown, see other things that they're studying and um, be able to be in our classroom and um, you know meet some of the kids that are learning in a similar way. So that's really exciting. The kids um, are eager to meet some peers from another country and um, they're studying Spanish as well. So those types of opportunities I think are, are exciting. Um, but on a bigger plan, you know, we are trying to get some more students enrolled. Um, we have room to add to this existing class, which are rising 10th graders, and we're trying to get a new group of rising 9th graders. So we're very excited as the project continues to evolve and unfold. Um, the parents love it, the students love it, the teachers love it. So it's really just a matter of getting the word out. And um, you know, we have a website, we're on social media, we're making some connections within the community. Um, but it's very exciting just to watch it unfold and see how well the kids are doing. That's what excites me the most. We have young women who were so shy they could hardly speak the first week of school and now they have found their voice, they challenge ideas, they speak with clarity and confidence and um, I plan to offer a women's studies elective um, at some point, probably next year, and I'm really passionate about building confidence, particularly in young women. Very nice. Where can listeners get in touch with you? Where can they uh, find out more information? Where, where's your, uh, you know, if you want to plug your location, your contact details, feel free. Yeah, we have um, a website, thehagschool.org. 
and um, our contact information is on there. We're located uh, right next to the Chrysler Museum in downtown Norfolk on Yarmouth Street. Um, we also have a presence on Facebook and Instagram and Twitter. So um, Facebook and Instagram particularly are sort of showing the things that we've been doing thus far, which um, we have some interesting posts that show a lot of the activities and experiential learning the kids have been doing. So we'd love to hear from any potential parents or students. Um, we have some open houses. One, in fact, is this Sunday. We have an information session where prospective students and parents can come and hear more about the school. Sunday at 1.30, and I believe the next one is February 2nd, also a Sunday at 1.30. And of course, people can contact us to schedule a time to tour the facility, or um, even more interesting is to have the student shadow. We have half-day shadow days where they can participate in a couple of classes, have lunch with us, and really get a feel for this method of learning. And that's really the best way to do it. Uh, you know, I'm all in favor of the, the kid, the student, coming and going to one of the shadow days. Uh, every kid that's done it so far has applied. So, I mean, it's, it's just as fun. It's compelling. Uh, when they see the different exercises we do uh, that promote listening and, and, and engagement and contributions and the things that are rewarded, they like doing it. It's like now they feel safe to talk and now they're challenged to think. Uh, but the thing I would like to plug is if I had one wish to come out of this uh, uh, discussion is that somebody's listening and somebody says, I want to be part of helping change education. I want to be part of helping develop the school. And I'm going to give those people, and only those people, okay, my cell phone number. And it's 757-288-7392. I'd like those people to call me because we've got a lot of work to do. Amazing. And there's also, I should have mentioned, we have um, half price tuition through uh, for anyone who applies before February 15th. So that's a really good deal. Um, in addition to, uh, we have financial aid and um, some people have participated in our tax scholarship program where they get credits that they can donate money to families that may not have the resources to come to our school because we want every kid that is interested and able to attend to have this opportunity. So um, I don't want people to be put off by it because it's a private school, because it's really a private school with a public purpose. Love that. And yes, perfect. So this episode, we're going to work to get it out hopefully before Sunday. That way we can get it out to our list and, uh, you know where to find the Hague School. So thank you all for doing this. Thanks for having us. Thank you. Good to see you, Hamilton. We'll see you again soon. My daughter loves her back. <laughs> so she glad went to back to that. college today, and man, she says the best one she has. All right, five star review right there. Yeah, yep. perfect. <laughs>